listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Two real quick announcements, reminders. We've announced them in the past weeks, but they're, they're not on the, uh, they weren't on the video. Next Sunday evening uh, at 5 p.m., we're having our family meeting. We have to have two of these a year, and we didn't get to have two last year because of COVID. So we are having a family meeting, 5 o'clock. If you are a member or in process of membership, uh, we would invite you to come, at least one person in your household. We probably can't have all 800 of our members at the same time. Uh, but if you could send one person at least just to hear what's going on, what kind of report from last year, where we feel like God's calling us this year, um, just some updates and time to pray uh, through the year. So that's going on. And then starting in early March, uh, this, all this information is on our website. We have a couple of equipping classes that will be beginning over in the Gardens Chapel, one at 9.30, one at 11. One's just about how uh, the, the story of scripture and how it fits together and how you fit in that story uh, taught by Clint. And then another one taught by Coleman on just kind of basic Bible study and, and how to pray and just, just the Christian life in general and, and what it looks like and how to grow. So information is on the website. They start March 7th, sign up there. Uh, it should be at the banner up top. So go ahead and go there if you're interested in those and encourage you that way. Go ahead and turn to uh, Exodus chapter five. We got to move because I went long first service and I, I don't have time in this service. So we're gonna move this morning. We're gonna be moving. Um, I'm thankful for this text. Last week, Clint had some challenges. There's no flint knives this week. There's no craziness. Uh, he started last week talking about how that was an unexpected text, right? It's not like a Hallmark movie where you know everything's gonna happen. There's no Jack Bauer showing up, putting everyone on their knees. You will sell flowers and go back to the city. There's none of that, all right? Uh, this week is very expected, right? Last week was unexpected. This week is expected. This is the way, as you follow the Lord Jesus in your life, this is the way things happen. This is kind of, the, the natural flow of things. Uh, this is why I think this passage relates to us so well. Remember, the Bible is not about us, but it is written for us. And this is one of those narratives, it's one of those stories where you can find yourself in this story. Uh, and so I think this is a, a significant text for us because this is a, it's really an, an equipping text. We talk about, we gather to equip, and then we go having been equipped to be the church, right? And so this is one of those equipping passages that I think relates to us so well because it's gonna ask and answer this question, ready? Here's the question it's gonna deal with. What happens in life when you, I mean, you take a step of faith, you're obeying the Lord, you're doing the best you can, obviously not perfectly because there's no one that's perfect, but you're, I mean, you're following God and you feel like you're taking steps of faith and there's been growth and there's been change and you're in a good place. What happens when you do that and things go sideways, that your obedience, that you're following, that your faith has actually made things more challenging in your life. I mean, your family, you, just, you, you haven't been in church in years and you feel like we need to get back in church and get back with people, God, and you, you, boom, you're, you're here. And it's been a month and then you just got a call from your job or cutting your hours in half. So that's what happens when I follow God. Or you just started, you know, growing in your faith and, and you know, you're going to this study and you're learning and, you're, and you're, you're talking about it and you're praying and your boyfriend breaks up with you. You're like, what in the world, Lord? I'm doing what you called me to do. How do we handle those? What are some of the temptations in those, in those moments? Because y'all, that that's what happens. Remember, we, we serve and follow a savior who at the, the center of our Christian faith, he was perfect, did everything he was ever told to do by the father and yet he was crucified. 
So how do, we, how do we live with that tension? That's what Exodus 5 and the first part of 6 will deal with. And I want us to get our arms around just two big ideas and then some practical applications based on those ideas um, because this is going to happen in our lives at some point. This is, this is expected. Where we picked up, where we left off last week, if you weren't here or if you're new, is, is so things are going surprisingly well for Moses. Uh, he, this biggest fear, remember when God says, I want you to you'll go and I want you to do this, his biggest fear was, what if they don't listen to me? What if they don't believe me? And they did. And, and things are going well. I mean, he did the signs. You know, the snake psh, throws a stick down, turns to a snake, does a little leprosy trick, right? Puts his hand in, comes out leprosy. He pours the cup out. It turns to blood. The people believe. The people worship. Everything's seemingly going well. And Moses has got to be like, man, maybe we can pull this thing off. Maybe this can happen. Right, so he's got a little, he's got a wind under his belt. He's got a little steel in his uh, spine. He's got a little spring in his step. So next step, Pharaoh. All right, let's roll. Aaron, we got this. Things are good. Everyone's praising God. Praise God. Let's go. Chapter five, verse one. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord. I turn to my best Charlton Heston uh, voice. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go. I don't sound very Charlton Heston, sorry. That they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Moses shows up in the most powerful man in the world at that time, the man who believes he's a living God. And he says, thus says Yahweh. There's that, that word Lord. Remember all caps is the covenant name. This is what Yahweh says. Pharaoh, let my people go. Does that sound good, Aaron? Very good, Moses, convincing. Great. What does Pharaoh say? Nope, not gonna do it. Pharaoh says, who is Yahweh that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know Yahweh. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. His logic is, is, is very, it's, it fits for him because he believes he is a living God. He looks back at the last 400 years. His people have been dominating the Hebrews. And so his logic is, if your God is so great, Moses, why should I listen to your God? Because we are winning so your God must not be as great as me. Thus, why should I listen to your God? That's the idea. See the same idea today, really. It, it plays out differently when you have someone, an atheist college professor or whoever, and it says, why should I listen to God? I can say what I want. I can do what I want. God doesn't do anything to me. He doesn't strike me down. If I put a glass of water and say, God, I'll believe in you if you just knock that glass of water over. Nothing happens, see? But, but Pharaoh and, and, and those who would kind of hold to that logic miss the fact that if he's the creator, if we are the overflow of his, of his imagination, of his creativity, we are his clay, he is the potter, then we don't get to call him to jump through our hoops and to meet us on our terms. We come to his, right? We come to his, which is why the incarnation, by the way, of Jesus becoming a man is so, so uh, majestic and big and, 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 and marvelous because the gap between God and man is so great and yet God, he, he bridges that gap. But, but Pharaoh doesn't get that yet, he will, but he says, you know what, I'm gonna, it's a hard pass, Moses, we're not doing this. You can think of Moses like, but no, no, you don't understand. The God of the Hebrews met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God lest he fall upon us with pestilence. And he responds again. Guys, this has been real fun, but Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from the work? These cities aren't gonna build themselves, right? Get back to your burdens. 
Behold, the people of the land are many and you make them rest from the burdens. Get back to work. And so with the next step, one quick stoop, swoop, the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past shall, shall you impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it. I.e., don't give them straw anymore, but the quota stays the same. They're idle. They want to go. That's why they say, let us go sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on them that they may labor at it and pay no attention to lying words. Right? We've been, we've been playing the Home Depot game with them. All right? We can, they can do it. We can help. We're running them, getting them their straw. No more. They can do it. They can help. Right? We're done. Yet the quota stays the same. The quota stays the same. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh. Notice the language. Moses shows up saying, thus says Yahweh. Pharaoh says, okay, you want to play that game? Thus says Pharaoh. I will not give you straw. Go and get straw yourselves where you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. And if it doesn't happen, Look what happens. So the people have to go and they're gathering and there's not a lot of trees in Egypt so they're trying to find straw and the taskmasters are urgent saying, complete your work, your daily task. And when there was straw and the foreman and the people of Israel whom Pharaoh's taskmaster had set over them were beaten. They don't meet the quota. It's not Buddy the Elf, 915 etch a is short, right? Oh, it's okay, buddy, all right? No, this is, you, you don't meet your quota. You are beaten. You're gonna lose your life at some point. Right. That's what's going on. That, that's where they're sitting right now. And so the people, they, go, they don't understand. They go, to, they go to Pharaoh. Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. They, they say, make bricks. Behold, your servants are beaten. Notice three times. Your servants. Where are your servants? Where are your servants? Your servants, your servants. The day earlier, God is great. We worship God. We're his servants. Now, oh, Pharaoh, mighty Pharaoh, we're your servants. You're supposed to provide for us and we just serve you. We're happy. Just give us straw. What has happened in one day in these people's hearts? They're fickle. And we're gonna see that as, as time goes on. And he says, no, you are idle. You are idle. That's why you wanna go sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw is given to you, but you must deliver the same amount of bricks. And the foreman and the people saw that they were in trouble. I love that verse. Uh-oh, we're in trouble. When they said, same amount of bricks. And there's Moses and Aaron. He's picturing them waiting outside, thinking, what's going on in there? And they come out, and Moses and Aaron, like, how'd it go, guys? Let me tell you how it went, Moses. The Lord look on you and judge, Moses, because you have made a stink Moses, this word stink, it's the same word uh, when all the fish in the Nile die in a few weeks. Uh, they're all, and there's just a stench that's just nasty. You can't escape it. He said, that's us, Moses. We stink, Moses. You stink, Moses. Now they want to kill us, Moses. Thanks a lot, Moses. That's the idea, right? They despise him. And, and here's the big idea of the text. They have stepped out in faith. They have worshiped God. They've been obedient. Moses goes all the way from Midian, the people risking everything. And now what happens? Have things gotten better or worse? Worse. Worse for Moses, worse for the people. It's gonna be worse for Pharaoh too, by the way. Everything is worse, not better, right? And so Moses goes to God 
He says, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? He has a little pit of party, right? Since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. He even delivered your people at all. There's some strong accusations there that we'll come to, uh, but at least he's running to the right place. From his perspective, God is doing nothing, but God is actually doing a ton. But the point is this, their obedience, their worship, their stepping out in faith has made things worse in the short run and not better. So what do you do if you're Moses? Better yet, what, is, what about, what would you do if that's you? That you are in this position. This is your story, right? Let me give you first big idea from this chapter of scripture. And this is not an idea, just so you know, this not, okay, three steps to make things better and everything's gonna be happy, happy, happy. Now this is, how, what do I do? How do I handle it when these waves in life come crashing in and they're unexpected, Right? I, wasn't, I was expecting X, but this is what happens. What do I do to, to weather that storm and that chaos? Here's the first big idea, all right? And, and we need to grasp this, that you understand that this is normal. It's normal. Turn to one of your neighbors behind you and say, it's normal. You can whisper it. It's normal, right? So it's not just me telling you. This is not unique to you. This is not just, oh, it's just me. This is, this is not just your story. Now, it feels like it is, but Peter says this is not, this is not something new or strange. When you step out and you, and, you, and you step out in faith or obedience and things turn sideways, it's not just unique to you. Here's why it feels that way. Because we have expectations. Some of them false. We do this all the time. We do it in relationships. We do it in marriage. We do it in all these things. We have all these expectations and when they're not met, we get disappointed, right? So if you have children, you see this. So if you say, kids, this summer, we're going to the beach and we got the beach house and here's, look at the picture of the beach house. And on the picture, you see the beach house and it's so cool. But then on the side, there's like little people on jet skis and people snorkeling and there's a carousel and there's big, you know, roller coasters. And so what has just happened is you have set up expectations. So when you get down to that beach house, the kids are gonna be like, when we riding jet skis? And, and it's real quick that you realize that it is cheaper to buy three jet skis than to rent them for an hour. <laughs> and you're like, oh, we're, not, we're not going jet skiing, we're gonna go to the beach. But, but, but the picture had jet skis. Is there no snorkeling? Now that, that picture was probably like Jamaica, we're in Myrtle Beach, there's no snorkeling in Myrtle Beach. Sorry. They just try to get us to the house, right? And, and the expectations become disappointment because you didn't come through on what you said, even though you never really said it. And we do this in relationships, we do it in all sorts of places, and we do it with God. God is offering us himself, he is offering us eternal life, he's offering us forgiveness of sins, his very presence, and he says, follow me, and we say, okay, and then we, put, we fill in the blank. If I follow you, then you gotta do X. And then we get, we get upset when he doesn't come through with X, even though he never said he was gonna do X, because we wrote the terms. We change the terms, right? And so we do it with obedience. Okay, I'll follow you, but you gotta do X. And so I've been, you know, I dated a Christian and we got married, we did Christian counseling and we did it, got married in the church and we did everything right. Why don't we have kids? Or why is there conflict in our marriage? I mean, I thought if we just read our Bibles and just did Christian premarital counseling and read the right books and I know his love language and she knows my love language and blah, 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 that everything would be easy. No. 
I, 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 did date, I didn't date anybody. I, did, I kissed dating goodbye, which I don't think is a good idea per se, but I did that. And I was pure through my teens and pure through my college years and pure through my early 20s. And now I'm 34 and I'm single. God, why? I thought if I did this, you do why? That. I run by business above board. We're honest, we're in, we have integrity, and we, we, we don't tell people that we're gonna do something if we don't. We don't, we, uh, we don't overbid, we don't underbid. Uh, so I put a bid on this project, and that guy over there and his company, and they, they do shady practices, and I know they lie, and I know they do all these things, and we both put bids in. They got the job. God, I'm the one who's honest here. Why is he getting the job? I, I, I'm, I turned from the sin. I owned the sin. I told my accountability partner about the sin. I repented of the sin. Why haven't you taken the desire for that sin away? I still have anxiety. I still have depression sometimes. I still have this. I still have that. God, well, I thought that if I repented of this, you would pull this out. You would take it away. Why, God? Why? Stepped up as my, in my house as a, as a father and I'm not so passive or trying to be a good mom and trying to be this, trying to pray with my kids and read the Bible with my kids and they want nothing of it. It's actually brought more chaos. Why? Why? Right? I, I've been giving to this ministry. I started serving in this way. I got involved in this way. I started volunteering down at this place and all of a sudden we start giving and my transmission blows in my car. Why? Things got worse. Right? It's, and I could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And here's the point. It's normal. It's, it's normal. Right? It is normal. Which begs an honest question. And I'll let you guys unpack this in your community groups. If sometimes obedience brings more chaos and it's more difficult, then why should I obey? Go. You guys go talk about that later. And then actually, I think we'll get to it in a few minutes. But here, here's some, it's normal. And you need to understand that and take a breath and just, okay. So I'm gonna give you some practical thoughts just based on that, right? Because it's normal, right? Because it's normal, then don't think that you're on the wrong path. Because there's a temptation in the midst of it when you start heading this way and everything falls apart. You're like, well, maybe I'm not, I'm on the wrong path. No, it's probably actually you were on the right path. But it's very normal to question your calling, to question you think you're going the right direction when everything's falling apart. Don't. Over Christmas, our family was up in the mountains and we were gonna go on a hike. So I found the nearest part, found it on my phone. And here's what you do. If, you don't, if you're not married, you may not know this. When, when the phone says it, men believe it. It doesn't matter if it says it's in the middle of the ocean. It says it's in the middle of the ocean. All we have to drive there. That's what we're gonna do. Right? There's something about being male. That's what, how God wired us. And so the phone says it, we believe it. And so I got the kids and we're driving to this place and all of a sudden the road turns to like a gravel road. I mean like gravel, like, I mean, I'm, I'm literally in the background. I'm hearing, dun, 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 dun. I, 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 okay, this is bad. Some of you don't know what movie that is. That's, that's just my generation, but... So we're driving, and it's a windy road. I mean, I got kids in the back, like, Dad, I'm gonna throw up. I'm like, it's okay, we're going to have fun. You'll be fine. And so we're driving, and like five miles of this windy dirt in the middle of nowhere. And, and there's a temptation to, oh, I think maybe we're going the wrong way. Nope, the phone says it's right. So we get to a spot, that, this says we're here, and there's nothing, it's trees, it's woods. I'm like, no, but I am male. We will, I'm going forward. So sure enough, I felt like turning around, but I'm like, let's give it a little bit more. Sure enough, half a mile up the road on the left, there's a parking lot. We go, we went on this great hike, beautiful hike, beautiful waterfall at the end. It was all worth it. But I almost quit because I thought I might be on the wrong path. 
and I was on the right path. It was windy. It was scary. I saw some deliverance people. <laughs> but it was worth it. Don't, don't think you're on the wrong path. You're, you're probably not. You're probably on the right. At the same time, instead of questioning your calling, questioning your path, ask instead, since it's normal, okay, how is this meant to shape me? Because maybe this circumstance, God has ordained this because he knows that I, I'm rough around the edges here and I need a little bit of rounding off. I trust a way too much in my savings account so it just got a big hit and maybe God's trying to, to take my hope off that and something else. I, I, I love my health way too much and so maybe this injury is so that I put my hope here and not there. Just asking that question, I think that's appropriate. It's helpful. Because our circumstances are meant to mature us and to grow us. Paul says that we rejoice in sufferings, which is radical. But here's why. Because it produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. Because what happens at a trial is it reveals what you hope in. If I hope in uh, getting out of this, or do I hope in the one who is over this? Do I hope the one who has poured out love in my heart through his spirit? And so asking those questions I think that's significant. God, where are you shaping me? This keeps coming up in my life. Because this, this kind of circumstance is, a, is exactly what makes Moses the man he's gonna become. Because he's gonna see a lot of this. In fact, spoiler alert, just a few chapters later, it's gonna be like second verse, same as the verse. Everything turns sour. Everyone starts complaining. We hate Moses. Let's get the chant going. We hate Moses. Dun, 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 dun. We, I mean, they're, they're mad at Moses. Moses, we hate you. We love Pharaoh. Because they're stuck between the Red Sea and the armies of Pharaoh. They just got a bunch of kids and donkeys in their hands. And they think they're going to die. And Moses, just a few chapters later, goes from God sent me back to Midian to fear not. Stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord. What happened? What's the change? He's, he's, he's been through this before. And he's grown. See, that's God, what God wants you to happen in your life. So it may say be slowly, but that's what he's doing. So asking those questions. Hey, what is God doing? Do do that because it is normal. There's also another temptation. And here's, so here's the next thing. is Because it's normal, don't run back to that which enslaves you. Which is exactly what the Hebrews do, right? Oh, Pharaoh, we're sorry, Pharaoh. Please help us, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. What does Pharaoh say? Nope. Because Pharaoh is a harsh taskmaster, isn't he? He's a, he does not care about them. Think about it. The Hebrews are running back to the man who has killed their kids, who has enslaved them. They've been enslaved for two, three, four hundred years. We don't know exactly the time frame. But it's been a long time. And now he's taking any kind of ease away from them that he has that's where they're running for mercy and grace we think that's crazy yes just like it's crazy for us to run back in those moments that are challenging to some functional savior to just kind of null the pain for a little bit right where there's this tension and anxiety so just a few extra drinks just a few extra pills just a little amazon therapy just running back to that relationship that i know is is horrible but it just gives me a moment of comfort I know my, my, my spouse is not paying attention, so I'll flirt with this person at the office. It's just a little this, a little this on the internet, whatever. And it's enslaving in the end. It's, it's Pharaoh who says, no mercy. That's the goal, to 
keep you enslaved. So don't run back to what enslaves. Here's what you do do. You do run to God, which is exactly what Moses does. As he says some honest things, he says how he feels and that's okay because God can handle it. Now, that doesn't mean we're disrespectful. That mean, doesn't mean we kind of just waltz in and you know, talk back to God. But we can tell God how it, it, it hurts. We can tell him, I don't understand. I'm doing everything you've asked me to do. And yet I have this autoimmune disorder. And why God? Why? I've stepped out in faith. I've been faithful over here and I lose my job. Why God? Why? He can handle the wise. And just so you know, you're in very good company when you're asking the wise. David, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me? Will you hide your face from me? Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? There's a lot of faithful people, including the Lord Jesus, who ask the why question. John the Baptist even. Remember John the Baptist? You think this is a great guy. You know, behold the Lamb of God, take away the sin of the world. He's, he's, he must increase, I must decrease. You're like, man, that's godly dude. Until he gets thrown in the jail and he starts doubting. He, he says, send those guys to Jesus and make sure he's the one. And so they go and say, are you the one? And he says, why are you asking me the one? Well, John's sitting in jail thinking, well, if he was the one, then why am I in jail? I shouldn't be in jail. Even John the Baptist says, wise. It's okay. But just run to the one that can do something about it. Be honest. Talk to him. Draw near to him. He will draw near to you. And here's, here's I heard this this week in a sermon. I think it's helpful. It, it was challenging to me. When you run to him, set the bar high. Here's what I mean by that. I think we run to God and we say these Christianese phrases like, your will be done. And what we mean in that, that's Christian code word for, I don't think you're gonna do anything your will be done, right? So we'll pray, Lord, heal so-and-so, but your will be done, which means you're not gonna do it, right? I mean, let's be honest. That's not what Jesus meant when he said, pray, your will be done. I think we need to set the bar high and say, I believe that you're going to heal. I, I'm asking you, I believe it. I believe that you're gonna reveal to me why you're doing this. I believe that you're gonna help me in this. I believe, I believe, I believe. But even if you don't heal, I still am gonna believe. That's what your will be done is. It's not, I don't think you're really gonna do it. I don't think you really care. That's not praying in faith. That's not setting the bar high. Setting the bar high is, is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember their story? In Daniel chapter three, Nebuchadnezzar says, bow down to my image. For those of you, you know, with kids in the 90s uh, or in, in early 2000s, uh, you will sing the bunny song. The bunny, the bunny, oh, I love the bunny. Didn't eat my vegetables, whatever, in the bunny, right? Whatever you're, if that's how you learn the Bible, great, learn the Bible, okay? But what do they do? They're standing before Nebuchadnezzar. He says, bow down or die. And they say, oh, king, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. He's able in the fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We believe God is going to rescue us, but even if he doesn't, we will not worship you. We will worship him. See, that's your will be done. I believe it, I'm trusting it, but if not, he's gonna deliver us another way. 
See, that's setting the bar high. That is running to a, a big God. Remember we talked about in the very first week in this series, what do we wanna have? A big view of God, a small view of man. That's what we're talking about. Run to God. Now Moses doesn't have that big view yet. He's going to get it. God is working on him, right? But run to a big God and expect big things from this big God who hears you, who loves you, who's proved his love for you. Here's another one. Because it's normal, don't quit. That's an, that's an easy one, right? To, to, to kind of get out of this. Don't quit. Don't stop. Because the, your enemy, your adversary, the devil, wants to stop you. It's, this is what happens in the spiritual realm is not, oh, someone comes to faith. Someone steps out in obedience. And then he start, the, the, your, the devil starts singing queen. Another one bites the dust. Another. He's not like, oh, can't do nothing now about them. They're done. No, he will rise up and he will try to stop you. He will try to thwart you. He uses the four D's. He tries to discourage, he tries to disunify, he tries to deceive, he tries to distract. There's your attacks, right? That's what he will do. He is going to discourage you. Does he discourage Moses? Yes. Pharaoh says, no. The people says, you stink, we don't like you. Which hurts more, by the way, when those closest to you discourage? It's one thing for Pharaoh to say no, it's another thing for the very people who said, we love you Moses, Moses, Moses. The next day, we hate Moses. It's that, that's more discouraging, right? The enemy will discourage you. He'll do it from without, he'll do it from within. Don't quit. He'll try to distract you from, from that which God is calling you to. We're gonna get them not to worship, we're gonna get them to work harder. Go get straw, right? Don't quit. Try to disunify you. Moses, Aaron, split from the people. He'll try to deceive. God doesn't really care. God's not trying to save. God doesn't love you. God's not gonna do what he says. Why? Because he wants you to quit. So here, here's the answer to that question I posed earlier. So why should I obey if it makes things harder in the short term? Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Don't grow weary of doing good. Why? In due season, you will reap. You will reap if we don't give up. Here's why. It may take some time may take a year, may take two years, may take 10 years, may take 40 years, may not happen until you see Jesus. But on the, on the authority of the word of God, he will repay. He will reward. He will do what he said he'd do. And it may be when you stand before him and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Here's 10 cities. You get to rule Philadelphia. yes. We will win every championship in the kingdom. That's when you might see it. That's why you do not quit. Because he says you will reap. So don't quit. Don't buy into the four D's. Don't give up. Because your God is with you. And here's one more thing. Because it's normal, sometimes you're gonna have to stand alone and that's hard. Moses is gonna be all alone. He's gonna get used to being alone, but he's gonna be all alone. And, and, and you're, sometimes you're gonna, have to be, you're gonna be the only one. Everyone wants to be in charge. In the word of the theologians, tears for fears, everyone wants to rule the world, right? Everybody, this is an 80s kind of day for us. Rainy, cold. 
Everyone wants to rule the world, but no one wants the authority. No one, no one, everyone wants the authority, but not the responsibility. But when God puts you in a place and he calls you to do something, and he asks you to step out in faith. Here, here's the thing about being in, in charge, being a leader, having any type of authority. However high you get, president of the United States, or however low, you're just babysitting. You're the 13-year-old babysitter. Whatever authority has been given you, you are always, always, always just middle management. Because if you're following God, he's the one giving you the orders and you're just living them out. So you're the president of the United States, you're still following God. He says, do X and you're doing Y. You're the babysitter, you're still following God and you're just implementing what he says. And so this is where this is challenging. This is why it's difficult. Because you're the bookkeeper and you're, you're doing things honestly because God says, I need to be honest and there needs to be integrity. And your supervisor says, I need you to, to change the date on that so that it looks like this. And you're like, I can't do that. Because God wants me to be honest and not lie. And then what happens? You get yelled at. People don't like you. You miss the promotion. You miss the raise. And all you're doing is what God told you to do. That's all you're doing. That's why it's difficult. I'm just middle management. I'm just, you know, you're the parent and, and your kids want to watch this, this series on Netflix and you know that that's trash and shit. No, we're not going to watch that in our family. I don't care what the Joneses are doing. I don't care what this person's doing because we don't feel like it's good for you. And so you're, you're doing that because God says, don't, don't you know, to, to flee for immorality and all these things. And, and your kids are mad and you're just like, oh, we're just middle management. We're just doing God, what God says. Right? Or, or if someone in a spiritual position of leadership, you're just like, hey, this is what the Bible says about that addiction, about that behavior. And people get mad and they leave the church and you're like, I, I'm just middle management. Don't, don't hang the preacher. I mean, I'm just telling you as best I can. That's, that's why it's challenging. That's why you gotta be willing to stand alone. That, that you can stand with what God is saying. Right? Here's what um, Oswald Sanders in his book on spiritual leadership says. It's such good. I put this quote on the screen for you. It says, the leader must be one who while welcoming the friendship and support of all can, who can offer it has sufficient resources to stand alone, even in the face of fierce opposition and the discharge of his or her responsibilities. He or she must be prepared to have no one but God. And when you have just God, you have enough, right? You have enough, right? Because you're never alone. So it's normal. Second thing, real quick, and we'll close with this one. And this is chapter six, and, and it's, you, you can read through uh, a little bit this week and kind of think about this, but here's what God says after Moses' little pity party. Now the Lord said to Moses, you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh now. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. With a strong hand, he will drive them out of his hand. And it's gonna be his strong hand, God's, right? And so he speaks to Moses and says, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. What he's saying there is they knew the name Yahweh. They didn't know the understand. They didn't understand all it meant and how this was related to God's character, that he keeps his promises, that he keeps his covenant, that he does what he said he's going to do. And so he didn't, he didn't reveal that until this point. He says, I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they are sojourners. Wherever I have heard the groaning of my people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, I have remembered my covenant because I'm Yahweh. Say therefore to the people, I am Yahweh, I am the Lord. And I will, notice these seven statements. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched harm and with great acts of judgment. 
I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out of, from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am Yahweh. Three, I am Yahweh's. One, you will know that I am Yahweh and seven, I wills. And it all boils down to this. He promises them four big picture things. I will rescue you. I will redeem you. I will adopt you and you will possess what I give you. I will rescue you from slavery. I will buy you out of where you are at. I will adopt you. I will become your God. You will become my people. Remember, Israel is my firstborn. Clint talked about that last week. And then you will possess that which I have for you. And what is he calling them to know, to do? He's calling them to remember what he has said and who he is. Right? Because they, like us, have short-term memory problems. One day earlier, we love God. Next day, we love Pharaoh. That's us. That's us, right? Moses forgets the burning bush, all the signs. The people forget all the things. They forget. They doubt. And here's here's the principle that I, I remember hearing earlier in my Christian walk, and it's super helpful, I think, is that don't doubt in the dark what was clear in the light. Because the dark's coming. Cloudiness is coming. The fog is coming. Sometimes I'll be in my garage in the evening, at night, and the little timer of the light will go off and it is pitch black, right? But see, I don't, I don't spaz, even though there's probably cockroaches everywhere. Why? Because I know where the path to the door is. Because I've been in there in the light and I know the car is here, the chair is here, this is here. And I know there's a path right down the middle that if I just stay there, I will make it back to the door. Why? Because I remember in the light, in the dark, what, what it's, what's there. That's, that's the idea. Remember the light. Remember who God is and what he has said so that when you're in the dark, you go back to that. Remember, this text, Exodus, is not written while this is going on. This is written after for a group of people who are wandering around the wilderness. Why? So that they could look back and remember, oh yeah, God said, oh yeah, God did. Oh yeah, so that they could find hope now looking back to what he did. We need to remember that's why Jesus gave the church two symbols to remind us that he loves us. Baptism and the Lord's table. Both point to the cross, which is the demonstration of his love. And what, is it, what does it remind us? What does the cross remind us of? That we have been rescued, that we have been redeemed, that we have been adopted, that we are his possession and he will, we will possess eternal life. Same things he promises here. This is why we keep coming back to what Jesus has done for us. How does he demonstrate his love for us? That while we are sinners, Christ died. How do I know in the moment when there's chaos and I'm stepping out in obedience that God still loves me? I go back to what he's done for me. I look to what he has done. And even if you gotta stand alone like Moses, you read the rest up to verse 13, the people don't believe him (laughs) because of their broken spirit. But God says, I don't care, go anyway. There's that old song, though no, none go with me, yet I will follow. And that, there's actually uh, my, favorite, I, my favorite scene in, in Prince Caspian, C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia. The four Pevensey's children are back in Narnia and they're at a ravine and uh, they don't know how they're gonna cross because it's a big ravine. And the youngest, Lucy, thinks she sees Aslan. And Aslan is beckoning her to follow, come across. And she says, there's Aslan and no one else can see him. 
And so they're like, no, he wants us to go that way. And everyone's like, no, we need to go this way. And so they have a vote and they all vote to go the other way except for Edmund because Edmund believed her. And she's sad, but she goes. And that night they go to sleep and she wakes up and she wanders through the trees and there's Aslan. He's like, why didn't you come? They're like, they weren't listening to me. He's like, here's, here's what I need you to do. And she notices this great line. She says, you're bigger, Aslan. He says, no, I'm not bigger. You're bigger. And the more you grow, the more I grow. He said, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to go wake up your brothers and sisters and I want you to tell them to follow you as you follow me. And she says, they're not gonna believe me. He's like, that's okay, you come anyway. She says, are they gonna see you, Aslan? He says, not at first, but, but you need to come. And so she wakes up her brothers and sisters and she says, Aslan says to come. And so they start following. They're all complaining and grumbling and Lucy's crazy. But sure enough, as they get closer, one by one, they start to see Aslan as they start walking towards him, even though they were walking, just following. And in the end, they're all standing in the presence of Aslan because they finally believe. They couldn't see him because they didn't believe, except for Lucy. And that's the idea for us. Sometimes you can't see, but you believe because you know what he has done and you know what he has said and you will eventually come out of the fog and there he will be. And you will see him face to face, right? So how do we handle when things go sideways? It's normal. You follow a crucified and risen savior and we remember what he has done. Right? And you say, I don't know, why, why do I suffer? How can I trust a God who lets there to be struggles? Because he suffered for you and he can sympathize with us. And now we can approach his throne of grace and we have a high priest who knows and cares and is near. That's why, that's why. So let's, let's worship, let's think about that. Why don't you stand We'll sing just a couple songs. And if, there's, if, you're, if this is a chance for you to, to talk to God, to say why you want someone to pray for you, we have some folks in the back hall would love to do that. This is a chance for you to respond and say, Lord, though none go with me, I'll follow. To, to, to cry out to him and he hears, he is near. Let me pray. Father, help us to, even in the cloudiness, even in the fog, to follow you because you're good. It's for your name's sake I pray. Amen.